gone it stopped for a second but i'm sure it'll come back it wouldn't be a podcast if my neighbors weren't power washing something what do they have to power wash so much well the backyard neighbors have a rather large fence and so they power wash that for a while Mm -hmm. i don't know what else they're doing i mean they're real thorough i did tell you about the time the guy was just sitting in a lawn chair with it like just Doing these two planks in a lot. Like, what are you doing? (laughs) How dirty is your fence? How far gone is this fence that you need to sit down? We've got some very tidy neighbors. There's a a set of neighbors across the street who detail their car every weekend. Yeah, no. Like, thoroughly. Like, all the doors open. We're getting a vacuum in there. We're spending, like, hours. I don't know. No. Maybe if I had kids, I would feel the same way, because kids are gross. Maybe. My neighbors keep their lawns pretty tidy, for the most part. Do you? Uh, I was doing it for a while, and then it got so hot and wasn't raining, so I was letting the lawn grow out, just so more cover, protect the lawn, more resiliency. Except then I started the new job and got lazy, and it got too far. (laughs) So I just did it yesterday, finally. Oh. But... It was it was pretty bad. I got to do it again, if that's any indication no. of like how bad that's it was. Pretty like bad. It, it needs two coats, you know. See, we're not we're not really super. Brennan's a ginger. He can't go outside. Oh, that's if true. The sun is out. He has to mow at night. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we have neighbors right next door to us, and they're the only people on our whole street really yeah. that don't do anything with mm. their house like they have a bed of weeds their lawn is always too long and they're right next door to us so it doesn't really matter what we do we will always look better Point and that's what you need yeah yeah well that's good yeah yeah it's good to be next to the gross neighbors like they leave trash yeah. out and it's yeah no one likes that so our general laziness is great are, they are left those. yeah no, no, no to the left oh, perfect they are also bad so they're even worse they've got like cars in their backyard and it's nice. like a group of i don't actually know how many people live there but it's like four or five people <laughs> who are all like renting the same house oh, so dear. people are coming and going there's like kids involved and dogs and like there's seven cars in the four car driveway and they don't mow the lawn. So you letting your lawn get a little shabby can't be that big of a deal. Yeah, and plus it's like my that. like backyard that's really rough. And I keep the fence door closed and like you can't really see it. It's not impacting the neighborhood, but Then you're fine. But I feel bad. Like I go back there and I'm like, "Ah, if I laid down, you wouldn't be able to see me." Like Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, welcome to the Bad Neighbor yeah. podcasts starring Matt and Tiff. I mow my lawn, Cal built a hammock that she got on prime day so that's gonna go in the backyard now incentive <laughs> I saw a hammock on prime day and yeah. i considered it and then i remembered the last time i bought a hammock what I happened used it twice that, oh, okay i was like that sounds ominous i remember the last time i bought a hammock i was trapped there for three days <laughs> no i don't we don't we're not outside people 
Well, to be fair, Kale put it on the screen in porch, so. Mm. I wish we had a screen. Well, we kind of, we have like a, I don't know. And then she was we like. We have a great room oh, that yeah. has a lot of windows. Yeah. That's close enough. Yeah. She put it on the screen in porch and then she was like, uh, the, we don't get a lot of air breeze through here. We need a fan. I'm like, it sounds like you should just like set this up in the living room and <laughs> be in the air conditioning. You don't actually want to be outside in this hammock. No one wants to really be outside. That <laughs> just blanket statement. Honest. No one actually wants to be outside. They want to be inside playing our... board games. Yeah, I was going to say, no one of our kind. All right, well, let's... Uh, the show hasn't That's started it. yet. We're good. We've got our whole intro. That was a good segment. Yeah. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. This is Boardcast News for July 20th. My name is Matt, and joining me on the cast today, my one and only favoritist non-related co-host... Well, you always have to add in that non-related part. Because Hello. if Dan ever listens, you know I'm going to get a text message about how I'm being mean to him. Dan's never going to listen. He's not going to ever listen. But I have a feeling that there's people out there in the Dan fan club, the Dan fans, they report back to him. I know they do. So you got to be careful. What happens on I'm the news careful. episode does not stay on the news episode. <laughs> it gets out there, Tiff. But anyway, welcome everyone to Boardcast News. Remember, the places that you can find us... Should I just start, like, just saying them less and less until I gradually fade out the intro? Yeah, maybe. Facebook, YouTube, BGG Guild, Twitter, Instagram. There you go. Now we just move on, and the intro will slowly die off. So that, <laughs> so that I have no place in this just show. Say, go to the places that you know, and we'll be there. But what if a new person listens to the show, and they're like, man, I wish I knew where to find these guys? You think a new person, like, doesn't know that everybody's on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook... Like, maybe the guild. What if... Maybe you keep the guild. Someone who just discovered the internet stumbles across our podcast. Has this person been living in a bunker? Yes. So, we're going to cater our podcast to potential bunker dwelling... I mean, it doesn't uh, have to be a bunker. It could be a cave. Time travelers? It could be an underground system of tunnels. All right. Yeah, it could be a time travel thing, like TARDIS dwellers. All right. I don't know. We're the, we're the only board game <laughs> podcast for time travelers. We are There's always relevant. We finally found it. We did it. <laughs> uh, we also need to give a shout out to our sponsor, Tasty Minstrel Games. We will be chatting a little bit about their new Kickstarter title, Crusaders, in a little bit. But if you really need a dose of TMG before then, just go to playtmg.com and check them out. Let's go ahead and kick off the news. We've got some game announcements. We've got some news stories and a few Kickstarters to chat about. And it has been just such a while since we did one of these TIFF. So, so long. But alas, we didn't miss a whole lot, it turns out. So this was a good time for a, a hiatus. We seem to have like a yearly, one or two yearly hiatuses. Hey, everybody needs a break every now and yeah. again. We, we basically subscribe to the idea of mental health days. You know how a lot of businesses are like, no, no mental health days. We here believe in our sanity. And, We're uh, very pro mental health. Pro mental days. health. That's and right. editing and recording and time crunches are not good for mental health. <laughs> Games, You're really too. trying to sell our laziness. That's good. I like it. No, no, no don't call it laziness, Tiff. Mental health days. Mm -hmm. Are you happier? <laughs> Do you feel good today? I feel great. Yeah. How do you think the Dice Tower people feel? Stressed, Tiff. Stressed. Because <laughs> they have nine shows to record today alone. They probably actually do. I know. But but they don't have real jobs. And they have a thousand people who will edit for them. 
Yes. So, bummer. And they also have people, suckers, that will make content for them for free. Speaking of which, check out Board Game Blender, uh, where Tiff... (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of suckers, Uh, how's your video series, Tiff? It's great. Good. Good. We get a lot of positive feedback. People like it. Oh, yeah. It's How does it feel in contrast to be on a product that people enjoy? <laughs> uh, it's true. I don't get recognized for the podcast very often. Sorry about that. I don't have... But Dan has. Dan casts you just a gotta long shadow. He's got to have shadow. a recognizable voice. Yeah. He is taller than both of us. So we, uh, ah, we fit behind his profile. Every group has their Justin Timberlake. What does that make me? You're that guy that Dan was talking about last week that no one knows about. Oh, yeah. Except Dan, of course, for some reason. <laughs> well, there you go. I think that you guy was a Baxter boy. That. I'm not even in the same band. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that explains that's a right. lot. Okay. All right. Blue Orange Games at Gen Con will be releasing their newest title, Photosynthesis, which is a very pretty game about being a plant. Sounds relaxing. Doesn't it? It's for, I think, like, ages eight and up. It's supposed to be fairly user-friendly, family-friendly. It's about absorbing the sun's energy and growing very comfortably. It's It's educational. Yeah, it's also very pretty. But it it also says it's fairly cutthroat. Yeah, well, the world of trees. There's only so much space for your roots to go. Add it to the list of tree games. I'm sure Dan will be interested in it. That's probably, for some reason, the one game Dan will keep from all the games he buys. This year at Gen Con, he'll sell the rest of them before he leaves the show, and he'll keep photosynthesis, maybe. From Avalon Hill, they have announced their Axis and Allies Anniversary Edition, which is technically another anniversary edition, I believe. Uh, It's going to be big and fancy and basically the same, but if you've been looking for Axis and Allies in this fun... And and I have. You've really been into, like, two to six-player World War II games? Definitely. Okay. Yeah. Is that your new theme? (laughs) What's that? If you fall into war game like war themed games, Tiff, you're gonna you'll never get out of that theme if that's your new pick. I don't think that'll ever be my theme. No? No. What if it's like one specific area of war? Like you're really into submarine games all of a sudden. I mean I could see myself I, I sometimes get obsessed with little pockets of history. Yeah. But like I don't think war games will ever be my thing. I've played like hex and shit style games. I don't like them. Not feeling it. Yeah. Well, that might be not be for you. But I do have something that is for you, Tiff. How do you feel about apes? Apes? Apes. You um, know. Like they're hairy, humanoid Yeah. Mammals. What about a whole planet of them? Oh. Well, that's sci-fi you're talking yeah. about. And I am What about intrigued. a whole planet of them designed by Richard Launius? Hello. There you go. All right, I'm clicking on this link. From IDW, uh, the Planet of the Apes board game is in development by Richard Launius. It's a cooperative game for one to four players where you take on, each player takes on one aspect of the psyche of the main character of the classic Planet of the Apes. This is not the new fangled James Franco Planet of the Apes. This well, is old school for Planet that. of the Apes. <laughs> Apparently, that new movie's doing very well. Well, okay. I don't know. We were talking about it yesterday while we were playing games, why people were interested in that. This is the old school creepy prosthetic yeah. monkey face. That's what yeah. I'm talking about. <laughs> but yes, it is a Launius game. I will be checking that out for sure. 
Are you a classic Planet of the Apes fan? I do. I like classic Planet of the Apes. I like old movies. I'm getting more, the older I get, the older movies I'm into, if that makes sense. That's interesting. What is that about life that makes us do that? I don't know. You're the psychologist type. You should know. What does it mean? I don't know. I feel like you make me seem bad all the time because you want me to answer things that I really have no <laughs> business answering. <laughs> <laughs> Just make something up. No one would know. How many psychologists listen to this podcast? I don't know. Message us on the guild if you're a psychologist. The internet is a dangerous place. You have to be careful how verbose you get. All right. Fair yeah. enough. I know nothing. I just watched the, a fistful full of dollar fistful of dollars last night. Yeah, Fist, yeah, that's it. Is that Clint it? Eastwood? Sure. I feel like you would be drawn to Eastwood titles in general. Oh my god, I, I'm like <laughs> I'm ashamed that I have I didn't I wasn't into these movies sooner. Yeah. Like I had seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, mm-hmm. but then I watched it again recently, and I was like, this is my jam right here. <laughs> you live an interesting life, Tiff. Thanks. People should sit down and talk to you more. <laughs> I'm usually just in a corner by myself. Yeah, yeah. They should ask you, like, Tiff's weird thing of the week. I always, I'm, you know, I have diverse interests. You're always getting into something. <laughs> Anywho, also from IDW, The Legend of Korra, uh, that was acquired, or the rights to publish board games under that, was acquired by IDW, and... The pro-bending arena game will be coming out from Sang Foon Lim and Jesse Wright. I don't know who Jesse Wright uh, apparently designed Pocket Adventure, but that's not a game that I've heard. Sang Foon Lim has done Belfort, Akrotiri, uh, that game. But wait, there's more. Things like that. Totally cool guy. Uh, but this will encapsulate the bending sport found in the television show Legend of Korra, which is apparently pretty good, although I don't really do too much anime-y. You didn't watch uh, The Last Airbender? I didn't do... I tried to watch oh, Last Airbender. So I wasn't good. that interested in it. Mm. Well, if you didn't like that, you probably wouldn't like The Legend of Korra. But I do like The Legend of Korra and The Last Airbender. Yeah. I don't know if I need a game about it, though. Well, we'll see. Could I'm be keeping cool. an open mind. From Space Cowboys, three more unlock games have been announced to be coming out before the end of the year. They have the House on the Hill, the Nautilus Traps, and the Tanapal's Treasure, which is a pirate-themed one. So three more games. You got a haunted house, you got an underwater submarine bottom of the sea monster attack, and you have a hunt for pirate treasure, which is cool. Although from the two unlock games that I found, the theme isn't overly exciting in terms of the game you're really looking for the puzzle so it's cool that they do different themes but they haven't really been too too exciting in my mind oh that's a bummer because i was looking at these themes and i was getting excited but it's really not about the theme so stop being excited tiff thanks i mean i don't know unlock in particular i thought the exit games used a little bit more of the theme in their materials and things like that and the theme is definitely there in the unlock series but I don't know. I didn't find that the theme was helping me solve puzzles or or immersing me too much, but that's basically because I'm on the clock and I have 60 minutes to do a bunch of math. So I don't really have time to be focusing on what's happening. I got it. Yeah. From Fantasy Flight Games, the one and only thing I will talk about, and it's here in the middle, not rounding out the show, it's the Genesis RPG system. Uh, It's going to be a generic-based 
RPG system, so you can slap any theme you want on it, use it however you want. And it looks like, from the description, it's going to be based off of their Star Wars system in terms of the dice and things like that, which is a heavily narrative system. Uh, it helps create more story than just a simple, like, success or fail. It's got dice that kind of modify the story and give you partial successes and different things that can happen, and you can upgrade the dice to tell more story beats and things like that. Seems like a cool way to take their system that they already own and you know, adapt it to other areas. So uh, if you want to create a game in whatever theme you want, the Genesis system might be one for you. Are you interested in it? I am a little interested in it. Craig texted me and was like, hey, you could do a Netrunner game. And I was like, oh my God, I can make a Netrunner RPG. That'd be so cool. But Oh, now uh, I'm not interested. <laughs> well, you can make whatever you want, which is neat. I am... I'm not making anything. I can't get down with well, RPGing. I am about to start um i've done my character creation with craig and a couple of his buddies i'm about to start a star wars rpg with him with this system so after i play it you know have some experience see if i'm interested in kind of getting the generic version and adapting it but finding people to play rpgs is tough i've got all kinds of rpg systems and nobody wants to sit down and play with me i want to play an rpg i just don't like people it's kind of a Uh, well double-edged sword if we could get dan into it but i don't know how it would who's be so a, interesting. <laughs> who's cool out there? We need to get somebody cool to come on board, and then Dan will join us. Oh, we're not cool enough to attract Dan. No, we games. need like a fourth. We need a confederate who will work with us to get uh, to lure Dan in. Mm. If you think you're cool, message us on the guild. If you think you're cool enough for Dan... Yeah. Messages on the guild. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and you're willing to goad him into playing. What about Dan Licata? He's cool, right? That could. Work. I mean, I think Dan Licata's cool. I don't know. Is that is he enough? I think so. I like how All we're right. now rating the coolness of individual listeners on the podcast, just unabashedly. All right. Who are we going to talk about next? <laughs> All of our listeners are awesome. We know them all by name. We do. We know all seven of them by name. It's great. (laughs) From Hasbro, something that you may have seen pop up on your Twitter feed like two weeks ago and now nobody cares about. Monopoly Gamer came out. Uh, It came out as a GameStop exclusive edition first and then it's going to come out later for cheaper. This is a $40 adaptation of Monopoly that involves Mario characters. It seems different from Monopoly. I did read about it and watch a little video because I was like, I gotta see what all this is about. I don't know that I'm sold on spending $40 on a version of Monopoly, but it's interesting and it's kind of like when Star Wars Risk was cool a couple years ago and people were like, oh, this is Risk, but it's not Risk and it's Star Wars themed. This is Monopoly, but it's not Monopoly and it's video game themed. So it's kind of cool. I see the merit in it. Uh, It's a nice move in terms of just rebranding monopoly it's not that it really is an overhaul of the game and the rules plays a lot faster it's got nice bits but uh the craze i think has already started to fizzle so just forget about monopoly gamer and it'll move on don't worry people no here's something (laughs) here's something that's interesting tiff overall games and the total recall board game i was excited about this until i read the description what threw you off the gameplay is similar to that of good cop bad cop yeah. Which is an okay game. I don't hate it. It's not quite the adventure that I wanted it to be. Exactly. Yeah. It's more just using the theme to get people to click on their links. And now I can click the little X button in the corner. 
yeah. Well, Bloop. good try. Moving on. Green, green, <laughs> green Couch Games. Their new title that will be coming at the end of the year or the beginning of next year is called Before the Earth Explodes, which is a two-player game that has like a rock, paper, scissors element where you're selecting actions to do, but certain actions cancel other actions. So you're trying to anticipate your opponent's moves. And I believe you're trying to you're trying to colonize planets or destroy your opponent. So there's two win conditions. The other little mystery that's seated in the description is that unless you find alternate win conditions during the game, so it sounds like there might be other ways to win embedded in the cards as you play. I thought this was a much darker theme for Green Couch. It like, is. build a tree house, make some ice cream treats, save the world before it explodes. Destroy the world. But then I saw that it has, like, rock, paper, scissors in it, and I was like, okay, Jason hasn't lost his touch. We're good. It's It fits in the green couch world. Yeah. Maybe we'll get our hands on it. I'm not sure uh, if he'll be sending it along. We tend to see a lot of his games hit our doorstep, so we'll be able to talk more about it potentially in the future. And last, in terms of games... Plan B Games, our new favorite publisher. Is that chirp, true? Chirp. Oh, okay. Yes. Well, Dan was not sponsor? a fan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dan was not a fan of their first release, Century Spice Road, as we talked about last episode. But their next title is a Michael Kiesling game hey, called hey. Azul, and it is going blue, to be. I think. Yeah. Is it blue? <laughs> blue. Okay. Correct. It's going to be a entry-level tile-laying game. You take turns drafting colored tiles from suppliers to your player board, and then you will score points based on how you've placed your tiles to decorate a palace. You get extra points if you complete specific patterns or sets, and if you have extra, that is considered negative to your score. So, sounds pretty lightweight, but pretty cool. We like tiling, set collection, things like that. Mm, palace decorating. Palace decorating. Azul is a very alluring title. If you <laughs> when you say it you like that, that, it's it just blue. Is. Azul. Every time yeah. I hear that, I just think there is no Dana. There's only Zul. But <laughs> sure, that's what I think. I can't not think it. Anyway. Well, pushing on to hobby news. Plan B Games still in the news. They acquired Eggertspiel. Just kind of a big So they're get. definitely not small anymore. Yeah, exactly. It's very strange because they sold off all their things from Philosophia. They end up with Plan B Games and like a pretzel title. And then they're like, all right, let's get back in the game and start snatching people back up and be big again. So kind of a big get. Eggertspiel uh, does a lot in the European market. And uh, I mean, that's good, I guess, because... Hopefully, Plan B will still be able to distribute well to the U.S. and we can get access to those games still. So, good on them. Growth. People eating people. <laughs> that sounds weird. Companies yeah. eating companies. Don't eat it people. still sounds that's weird. Not... Stop talking about eating. Okay, sorry. It's the eating part that's weird. You realize oh. that, right? No, I didn't, which is why I tried twice. <laughs> so, <laughs> also in the news, Nibcard Games, which is not a game company I am familiar with, but possibly because... Uh, they are not from the U.S. or even Europe. They are raising money for their second board game convention in Nigeria, which oh. last year they held a board game convention in Nigeria uh, to expose the African market to the different kinds of games that are out there because apparently it's extremely limited, which I would believe just given the access to resources and 
things like that. So this is the second board game convention hosted by this game company. Apparently it was very successful last year. I had a lot of fun teaching games, exposing people to the entire global market, which is kind of cool if you think about Africa and the world market. They have access to the Asian games, the Australian games, the European games, and the American games. I left South, South America out because I don't know if there's South American games. Is that prominent down there? I don't know. There's a Brazilian version of Coup. So I mean, I know they yeah, they have games down they there. Have I just games, mean, Matt, is there a geez. prominent design company or, or team or publisher out there? I don't know. Not that I know of, but I'm so, sure there's someone. Anywho, Africa kind of has the benefit of being somewhat centralized in terms of the global market. So they get to pull a lot of these different titles in and expose people at this board game convention. So it seems pretty cool. And I believe it's on Indiegogo. You can go and support if you want to help them. Uh, raise their money. They're doing it this year through crowdfunding because they're trying to establish um, a sustainable source of like revenue and funding for futures, but it's still not stable. So they need to do crowdfunding for a year before next year where they hopefully can be more self-sufficient uh, in securing funding. So pretty cool. I, I like that idea. Spread some games across the world. Spread the love. Something that's very close to Tiff B's heart. Uh, Gen Con sold out of their four-day badges, Tiff, for the very first yeah. time this year. Which I noticed after I went to go potentially yeah. buy a four-day badge. Everyone buy your badges pretty much immediately. There's no harm in it. I don't... I I usually wait until like the week of the con. I don't know. I've gotten a press badge the last few years, and yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's fine. I, I got a press badge for this year, too. Thank you, Gen Con. Save the day. Life is good. So it's fine. They did sell out of their four-day badges for the oh, first wow. time ever, and... It partially has to do with the 50th anniversary of Gen Con because the show is basically going to be bigger and more extravagant than it ever has. It's got more publishers. It's got more support. It's getting bigger. Uh, they had a relatively stagnant attendance last year, not which is not a bad thing. That sounds bad. Basically, they plateaued, and now it's risen immensely. They're even selling out of single-day badges. I think Sunday's already out. I think Saturday might be out. So if you're trying to go you're going to have some trouble. But honestly, it's right around the corner. So if you're just making plans now, you're kind of behind the the times anyway. So, but that's kind of crazy. And that does, it's great because you want it to grow and you want board games to succeed. But it also is like, okay, now Gen Con's even more stressful because not only do I have to fight for a room, I need to fight for my badge. So there's well, lots of Well, when I couldn't barriers. get a badge, I was like, maybe I just don't go to Gen Con this year. And it didn't feel like the worst thing ever. Yeah. Like, I don't know if Gen Con is necessarily, if it wasn't close, I wouldn't go every year. Yeah. I was hoping to go. New job means I can't because I don't want to take that time off. Um, but it doesn't, it just sounds stressful. I don't know. Well, it doesn't have to be stressful. Yeah. I think your first time going is always a little stressful just because there's like sensory overload in yeah. play. But it doesn't have to be stressful. It's only stressful if you like are trying to do all the things, which is insane. I got you. If you just can go with the flow, you'll be fine. Literally, just like let people, the crowd carry you. <laughs> yeah. You just, really. <laughs> this is where I got spit out. I guess I'm demoing this game. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a valid strategy for navigating Gen Con. <laughs> Not elbowing people to the front of lines. Not worth it. No, oh, bummer. Well, exciting news in terms of you paying more for your board games. There have Sweet. been more minimum advertised price policies put in place. Specifically, Asmodee has adopted the 
twenty per no less than twenty percent uh, discount policy. But the benefit of that is that they have dissolved their restrictions on online sales. So oh, yeah. a lot of people got kicked out, couldn't sell Asmodee games online. But that's reinstated. You can now sell them because they have these map policies in place, so that they can kind of secure uh, their funds, their profits. But also, unfortunately, Haba has adopted this policy in that they every game must be sold for MSRP. Whoa. Unless it has been discounted by the company. So unless the company has issued a discount, Haba games must be sold for retail price. Everywhere. That's intense. Not that I recall Haba games retail price being particularly expensive, but geez. No, they're generally affordable. I mean, they're a family game company so they definitely want to be targeting a wide market which means keep your costs down and they're not overly complex games typically so uh it's interesting though because again it just like let's add them to the list of the companies that are enacting these policies is is this becoming the norm and as they see certain companies get stricter like haba haba has the most strict policy so far you know will other people say oh well maybe we should just do what Haba's doing because they're still succeeding or this or that you know they it sets a precedent so Definitely. something to pay attention to yes i don't know i'm so glad that i have 500 games at my house because right. if this if everybody adopts this policy i could just stop buying games and be done <laughs> i yeah i don't know I, where you I would, would put them <laughs> i don't know where you put them to hmm I'm I'm one in one out now for the most yeah. part, so it's working out perfectly. I have the perfect amount of games. the The number is five hundred. It's interesting. I mean, it. I think it disincentivizes. That's a tough word for me right now. Uh, collecting. I mean, board games is typically a collector's world, and the harder you make it to buy games, or the more expensive it. You know, it's inhibitive. But I guess for any average person walking in to buy a game. I think that's where this is taking, like, into consideration. Like, it's not taking into consideration crazy people like you and me. Yeah. Because why? we are a minority, I would think. It is also interesting, though, to think of, like, the average person walking in and purchasing a game. Like, seeing a 40 or 60 or $100 price tag with no sale, like, that's that seems intimidating for anybody who's just stumbling into a game, but... Yeah, games are getting ex- more expensive, I think, is the bigger problem. Yeah. It, it would be okay if, like, I don't know, when I started gaming, a $100 game was not a thing, really. Yeah, no. I mean, the yeah. hundred, the uh, one of the early games I bought was actually a $100 game. I bought Super Dungeon Explorer, although that may have only been an $80 game, but that's because that had all of those minis and board. Like, that game was packed to the brim, and it was also like the early stages of Kickstarter minis and stuff like that. So Right. But yeah, that's a little bit different. I would I mean like if you're spending a hundred dollars on a game or like in that range, it was like a special thing. Yeah. Whereas now you could easily spend a hundred dollars in the game store like on a game and a half. Yep. We're all poor. It's you okay. can't take risks on games anymore. Like that's no. we went to we went to my game store the other night and I was looking at some things and I was like, normally I would just have bought this, mm-hmm. but it's so expensive. Yeah, yeah. You can't. And you don't know when you're going to get to play it. Exactly. So. All right. So our last story, just a quick heads up that Mike Elliott was inducted into the Board Game Hall of Fame. So congrats to Mike Elliott. He's definitely done a lot for the hobby. A notable name. So cool on him. And then let's uh, talk about some Kickstarter projects. And we're definitely going to start out with the one that's currently up 
from our sponsor, Tasty Minstrel Games, because it actually looks pretty cool. Not that I wouldn't cover it. You know, we gotta we gotta support our sponsor like they support us. But this game is interesting. It's the deluxified version of their new Seth Jaffe title, Crusaders: Thy Will Be Done. It's going to be ending on August fifth. The retail version will run you fifty bucks. The deluxified version, as they have trademarked it, will run you seventy bucks. And that's going to get you the foil stamped box and all of the fancy bits. You know, screen printed minis and uh, metal influence token coin things and big giant board, double-sided, things like that. So if you want all the fancy bits, just like the Yokohama that came through, which I think was their first deluxified game, if I'm right, uh, it's going to have that same treatment. So the game itself seems pretty interesting. I saw, I was waiting for this to come up, and I actually stumbled across just like a tweet that this was out. It's a Mancala Rondel mechanism, individualized, but you get to build your Rondel. Like that's the heart of the game which I think seems kind of cool. Tiff's face does not seem like it agrees with me. No, it's cool. I like the idea of building my own rondelle. I worry about Moncala. Why? I don't know. It hurts my brain in Trajan. Oh, yeah. It's got a... It definitely looks like Trajan on your player board. Oh, boy. Except to the right of the Moncala uh, rondelle... It has like a whole bunch of wooden pieces that activate and you put out in different ways because this also has a board element to it uh, with a big like area. I don't know if it's technically area control, but definitely like building buildings out there, influencing the map, trying to lay claim to certain things. So you've got to use your Moncala skills, your mind bendy Moncala skills to then activate your buildings, play them out on the map uh, for points and things like that. It's also got asymmetry. So you pick a knight that, or a clan that you're going to be using, and that gives you personalization, you know, asymmetric stuff, which is also pretty cool. So you back in it? I might. I think that of their titles that they're releasing this year, this is definitely the most interesting to me. I like the theme. I've kind of, you know, I dig the Crusades. I think that they're a weird and wonky part of history and kind of terrible in an interesting way, or interesting in a terrible way, maybe I should say. Uh, the production looks really nice. I don't know how I feel about them upgrading to plastic pieces, but it looks like you'll get both. So their their stretch goals increase to you get plastic pieces instead of wooden, but I kind of like the look of the wooden screen printed stuff. I think that's cool. It's got a very Euro feel, and uh, I like keeping with that aesthetic, and their deluxified Yokohama stuff is really nice in wood. So... I might be back in it. I need to read the rules. So unfortunately, the thing that I am disappointed by this project is that the rules are are buried between stretch goals and the deluxification explanation. So you read all about the cool bits, you see a tiny little rules snippet with a video, and then you see a bunch of stretch goals. So I want to know more about the game, and I think that should always be the forefront of a Kickstarter project. But this is clearly style over substance in terms of their presentation like they want to show what it looks like instead of how it plays which is well i think part part of it is that the 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 reason to back this is to get this crazy deluxified version like people who are doing this are doing it for these crazy components so i guess yeah. i get that but like i'm not gonna spend this much money on a game without knowing the rules yeah just seems so i have to do the that, research yeah i'm sure they're um, out there somewhere 
they they are there. They have their alpha or beta rules up, and they do have a video, and there's a bunch of reviews and things like that. There's definitely the information is there, but I love projects like the next one we'll talk about, Founders of Gloomhaven, that like up front, here's how you play, here's like your action list, and here's some animated GIFs of what things look like. You know, I like that kind of transparency and also that kind of uh, dissemination of information. You know, in my mind, make your projects that appeals to both people. Give them the fancy art and the lovely components, but don't shy away from, you know, have faith in your gameplay and your mechanics because some people make their purchases based on that. So cater to both sides. This is definitely part of the cater to aesthetic instead. Totally agree. But so, so much of Kickstarter is catered to aesthetic. aesthetic. Yeah. I don't know. That's okay. The game still looks interesting, so definitely check out Crusaders. Uh, it's up on Kickstarter for a little while longer, so uh, maybe I'll read some more and report back on, on what I think if I end up backing it. It's super duper funded. doesn't need any of your help. I mean, yeah. wait, there are sponsors. It needs a lot of help. Get, get in there. Give it all back, the help. Back this game. We make a commission based on how they're kickstarting. No, we, we, no don't. we don't. That was don't. not remotely true. Founders of Gloomhaven was the next project. A city building game. So Gloomhaven is the big dungeon crawly, massive 21 pound box game from Cephalofair Games and Isaac Childress. And this is their new title, which is set in the universe, but has nothing to do with adventuring or dungeon crawling. This is a Euro game resource management things like that tile laying and it looks pretty cool it's 50 bucks it will be ending on august 10th so still lots of time it actually just went up at the time of this recording it's got the lovely artwork uh, from the gloomhaven universe but what you're going to do is help build a city this is a competitive two-hour city building game not (laughs) they emphasize not an expansion to gloomhaven uh, but it is hand management hand management tile placement, worker placement, and also has some blind bidding at one point, which is we played two games yesterday and both of them had bidding. And at both times that we said the word bidding, we looked over at Kel and she had this like, it was just instinctive. The face that she made, she couldn't help. It was so reflexive, like her disappointment in bidding just tossed into games. But I don't like bidding either. It's tough to do well. And sometimes it feels tacked on, but here... So what we've got, uh, what you're going to do is you got this big open board with all kinds of t- places for tiles. You're going to be using a deck of action cards to either place your tiles out, get new cards, uh, get advanced resources, or build these kind of bigger houses and buildings and bridges that help connect the city uh, and help control the board, which is how you'll be scoring your points. Where the bidding comes into this, you can call a vote, which is how you retrieve your cards. So once you place your action cards, you need to call this vote to retrieve. The issue is that when you call a vote and get your cards back, the other players are going to get a benefit. They get to collect their income. And this is where you do your blind vote on where this fancy prestige building will be placed on the board. So I don't know how that would play out in terms of its interest level or or whether that's fun, but that's how the bid works. So at least it seems to be, it's not a bidding game. It's an aspect of this game. So... I'm cool. Sure. I'm still not backing it, but. Still not backing it. (laughs) I've I've talked about this before. I don't like games that are set in the same universe. As a collector, it it bothers me. I would never need Gloomhaven in my life. And now I can't buy this because it's part of a thing. What if it didn't have Gloomhaven in the title? What if it was called, like, 
the it founders a story of city building. Well, it practically is just called Founders. If you look at the box, yeah, it's like Founders in like gigantic typeface, and then like of Gloomhaven. Like, yeah. What if you have an asterisk? What if you didn't know off the bat? Yeah, I think that would bother me more if I found (laughs) out. I'd be like, what? Oh well. (laughs) Do you consider all games set in the Renaissance to be part of a series? No. You just don't buy any of them. (laughs) No, but I'm trying to think. This has definitely happened before. And and it just I don't know. It shouldn't bother me. Like the Tempest series. Like, that yeah. was a thing where everything was set in the same universe. It had the same similar artwork. And I didn't buy any of it because, well, none of it sounded that great. But, uh, you know, <laughs> even if one of those games was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I have a problem with it. I know it's not healthy, but it's how I feel. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. All right. All right. Let's talk about our last project. It is Legendary Creatures. It is coming from Eduardo Baraf, Edo does a video game or not a video game a board game series video series it'll be ending on august 4th so again plenty of time on these projects that we're talking about right now and it looks like you can get a copy of the game for 40 bucks or you could go and get some of their other titles including like herbaceous and things like that if you want to spend a little bit more money they have packages for that but this is a fantasy themed racing game where you're going to have different mythical realms that you are racing through And you're going to use your legendary creatures, which are basically cards with special abilities and things on them. Uh, You're going to draft them and play them out in kind of combination. So depending on the order that you play them and which ones you play with which ones, their abilities will play off of each other. And those are going to allow you to advance across these racing boards, essentially. Uh, And you are trying to be the first to get there. So the game plays pretty fast. Uh, apparently and the goal or the interest here is those combinations of creatures it's all about you know what are the different things that i have and how can i manipulate them to benefit me or hinder my opponents there's 84 total creature cards each with their own things going on and there's 11 different game boards so you'll be racing across different mythical realms and things like that and it's got cute little player tokens that are different legendary creatures so it seems to have a nice polish the gameplay itself doesn't seem to be overly complex uh but the price is right on that you know about 40 bucks for kind of this little card drafting and playing game sounds pretty cool (laughs) yeah tiff's got nothing for me she doesn't care she doesn't back games or buy games i never know when to jump in i don't want to talk over you and i I, now i'm really like cognizant of saying the art is super cute (laughs) Or the meeples oh, yeah. are awesome. Because now everybody's going to think that I think it's a suck game. And I don't. But like that, it, it is very attractive, this game. And I like that theme. How do you feel about racing games? I mean, it's not like a racing uh, game, like doing laps around things. But you are trying to be the first to get somewhere. Right. So. Yeah, I usually suck at racing games would yeah. be my like hold back on this one. And 30 minutes per player... Yeah, that part was interesting to me. So that means that, you know, four-player game up to two hours. I'm not sure what here is taking that long. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I wonder sometimes if, like, our perception of how long a game takes is, like, really skewed. And this is, like, someone being actually honest about their game. Yeah. 
and and normally this would say like 45 minutes and you know it wouldn't be true but we would still be like oh yeah that makes sense and then we'd play it and it would take two hours and then we'd be like well it was a learning game like you know this is this is just what happens (laughs) that is the exact process that happens so, like, I appreciate someone trying to be honest about their, but, but I also wonder, what if they're not? What if this is, like, the usual thing, and they're saying 30 minutes per player, and that means it's, like, 45 minutes per player, and then, I don't My know. God. There needs to be the a campaign for, like, ga- board game publishers to actually be honest about their play times. Yeah. So I know what to do here. We played... What was that game that we played yesterday? It was... Sorry, I'm blanking on it. We played Shakespeare yesterday, Tiff, for the first time. Oh, I love Shakespeare. It was It was fine. It was fun. Uh, I was a little... Uh, I need to play it again before I weigh Uh-oh. in. It was okay. I did not overly enjoy myself. Uh, but I think we played a rule wrong. Well, that'll do it. But Shakespeare on the box, I believe, says something like 20 to... 90 minutes <laughs> yeah too big of a gap <laughs> yeah They're like what's the fastest we've ever played this what's the slowest we've ever played this let's put both of those on the box well but, but I... again that's probably more honest than the like 60 minutes that anybody else would put the average yeah because then if you go over that you're like oh game box lied But they never tell you, like, what's the measure. Some people take the average of all their playtests. Some people do, like, the per-player count kind of thing. And We need to have, like, a board game timing standards and practices manual. Yes, we do. (laughs) I'm not sure what the manual would say. It might only be a page. Well. And it says, don't lie about your game times. Well, but it could give, like, a, a, you know, a procedure for figuring average playtime. There should be a section, I understand on the box maybe you put like average about 60 minutes, but then like in the book or something you put our, you know, we had 500 play tests and at at this player count or something, like give me some stats. Yeah, like let me know. Would anybody really care? I don't know. We're just too geeky for our own good, I think is what (laughs) we're finding out right now. I want to know how many times those people played their game to get that time. (laughs) Yeah, no I know one... Stonemeyer does. I'm pretty sure they do pretty intensive, like, guesstimation. Yeah, well, I appreciate that then. That's how they ended up with, like, 135 minutes for Scythe or something like that, is because they clock all their playtests and do some averaging and things like that. Smart. You know, like, that's a weird time. Why does it say 135 minutes? You're like, because that's what it's going to take. Right. Go ahead, start your clock. Yeah, when you have that nice round time on the box, when it's like 60 yeah. minutes, you know something's up. That's a I want a box you know, that says 43 minutes. And then I'm like, that person <laughs> did their homework. This will take you 17 minutes per player. Although and then I don't they have like a little another box. practice. They're just going to start putting random times. Somewhere right. between zero and 98 minutes. <laughs> Depending on if you don't play this game. It will take you no time to not play this game. <laughs> All right, that's all we have. We're just talking about dumb stuff now, and you need to go do something, Tiff. So let's wrap up this episode of Boardcast News. Thank you all for joining us. You know where you can find us on the internet. Don't forget about the guild, number 2077. Yeah, you can get a tiny Meeple Shield micro badge, or Instagram, or email, or Facebook. iTunes reviews are fun, too. They let us know that you like the content. 
but as always, the best place to find us is Twitter. Tiffany B, do they deserve to talk to you if they don't know where to find you? <laughs> no, you can come find me. I'm at ineptgamer. I don't tweet about games anymore, but... <laughs> <laughs> if you want to see her make some scones yeah i got some yeah. sweet scones up right now you can find dan at league nonsense if you want to talk about the league or at scandalous underscore nad if you want to talk to him about whatever else is going on in his life which is always full of surprises you can also talk to me at cinnamon buns spelled phonetically on twitter thank you all for joining us we will see you next time for another full episode of the podcast of nonsensical gamers tiffany b say goodbye goodbye Bye.